0: hey this is tim ripper owens this is Michaela from catechus i'm greg browning from crimson shadows this is heather michelle from grave shadow hi everyone this is
1: fernando from moonspell and you're listening to the great metal debate podcast rock on
0: Welcome to the podcast, listeners. We're back and excited to talk with another metal juggernaut. I'm here with Ken Sorceron of Black Metal Misery Makers Abigail Williams. Ken, thanks so much for joining us today on the Great Metal Debate Podcast.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: We're here in Nashville, Tennessee at the final week of your tour with Fagore and Origin. You guys qualify as road veterans. What uh, stuck out to you about this tour? The drives are pretty long.
1: You know, that's... That's what sticks out.
0: You've been going all across the U.S. Yeah. All in all,
1: I would sum the tour up as the drives along. Shining was an interesting band to tour with. And uh, Origin is very
0: intense. So, yeah. We yeah. talked with Jason about Shining. That was an interesting conversation. Was it? Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. Yeah. They're interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Are you guys generally playing in markets that Abigail Williams has already been to before? Or are you seeing some new cities?
1: No, I don't think there's any new cities left. Uh, on this tour, we definitely didn't play any new cities. We've toured extensively. Uh, and as far as like black metal bands especially go in the States, I'd say we've played more places than anyone. And I'm not just saying that. When I say that, I mean we've played fucking five cities in Montana, okay? You know, like we've played
0: shit holes that people don't even know exist. You know what I mean? If people haven't seen Abigail Williams, that's on them. Yeah, I mean, it's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you mentioned black metal, and it's fair to say Abigail Williams falls somewhere within that spectrum. Uh, but nobody's going to mistake you guys for Scandinavian corpse paint on. Do you think that other artists in that genre, do they? you think they push the boundaries enough? Or what, what are kind of your thoughts about that?
1: Um, I don't spend too much time thinking about it. Uh, you know, I just... I hear something. I enjoy it. Uh, as far as boundaries, uh, there was... If I'm going to be completely honest, there was a time when I thought U.S. bands were pushing more boundaries. And now, I don't think that's true. Right now, at least. I think it's put back to European bands. Which is good. Because, um, you know, that's good inspiration. You know, so... Yeah. I think 10 years ago, I was thinking a lot of U.S. black metal bands were more interesting. And right now, uh, I, I lean towards more... I think Europe, Europe has got the grip again on originality and uh, innovation.
0: So, where, Well, you guys have a pretty diverse sound. I really enjoyed your set. Uh, how difficult is it to come up with that set list? Pretty easy, because we just... Um, blurred it out
1: <laughs> Yeah, we, kn- we know so many songs X many songs And then, you know We'll beforehand decide eh, Let's do this
0: You've got some songs that are pretty long though and, yeah. and so to include those would constrict that set list
1: Yeah, absolutely And we came up with a c- Condensed versions of some of these songs Some of them will play faster So that they're not as long And then some of them will play faster and cut portions out so that we can not just play two songs or something in a set, which is when you, on a tour like this, you know, we're pretty bottom of the totem pole. So yeah, we get a short set. And then when things happen with the sound man taking too long, which sucks, but that's how it is. Yeah. Then we have to cut even more. So yeah, then We've managed to figure out a way to play at least four songs a night on this tour, usually. Which, for us, is a challenge. You know? But whatever. So, we've specifically picked some short ones. And then uh, condensed some longer ones by s- both speeding them up and cutting them, cutting some parts out.
0: You make it work for the live setting. Yeah, yeah. A lot live
1: is such a different thing from an album an album is meant to be like a piece of art that's that's it's own entity live I think of it in the same way like there's no point in playing exactly the same way live because you know when we're recording we're not thinking of recreating it exactly like that it's more of like in the moment right then you know, I don't even do the same vocal patterns live, usually. It's it's very much on the spot when we're recording, and then live, it's got to be the same way. Spontaneity, you know, it needs to be... It needs to feel uh, new.
0: Otherwise, it's fucking bullshit to us. So, in the studio, you're never thinking, well, how am I going to do this live? That's purely, you're creating the art there, and that thought process happens later? Absolutely. If that never
1: even crosses the mind so when it comes to live i know we're going to be able to do something even if there's too many guitar parts right there it's like we're going to come up with something that's going to be equally like fitting you know in its own way the energy will be there but it's not going to be exactly the same you know so
0: they are two different things you know do you have a lot of fans who trade in bootlegs? Is that something that you, you've got a fan base that recognizes the uniqueness of your live performance? Um, that
1: happens. Uh, I'd say we're we're the biggest bootleggers. Uh, I won't go <laughs> too far into that, but you know, we. <laughs>
0: Anyone's bootlegging anything, it's us. Trust me. Speaking of the art, the albums, your most recent album, The Accuser, was released back in uh, October of last year. With a year's hindsight and the opportunity to play those songs live, how how do you look back and think about that album? Well, I
1: haven't really thought about it. Uh, I'm thinking about the next album. So, really... I, I remember feeling pleased with that album. I th- I'm probably still pleased with that album. And I'm looking into... I'm already
0: thinking, like, what's gonna? what are we doing next? What's, what's do, you, gonna, do you go back and listen to old albums, to, to, to old material? Or once you've completed that, is that not something that you want to uh, even think about hearing?
1: Actually, yeah. Sometimes I do. The other day, like, maybe, I don't even know, a couple nights ago, I listened to In the Absence of Light. Almost all the way through. And I just wanted to... You know... We were on a drive. I think I might have been driving it. Was I driving? driving. Fuck you. I was driving. (laughs) Because that's... Everyone was sleeping. And I was like... I can listen to this and not offend anyone. So I put it on. And I was like... Yeah, it's a cool album. Yeah, I like to reflect back once in a while. You know, we did... uh, Earlier in the year, we did... In the Shadow of a Thousand Suns uh, tour where we played just songs off that and like a little bit off Legend or whatever and it it was interesting, you know, go back and reflect a little bit I've always said I'm not a big fan of doing that but we did it you know I became interested again in trying those songs live All in all, it was a good learning experience because I I realized, like, I'm right. You know, looking backwards isn't anything I'm too interested in. We played those songs. At the end of the tour, I was very much like, well, I'd be very happy to never play those songs again. So, not that I didn't have a good time, but I was just pretty much, like, cool, pretty much done with that era. I don't need to revisit that. So, for, for us, it's always, like, looking in the, the future. Abigail Williams is a band that people don't understand that we're experimenting with different sounds album to album. We don't really care about what anyone thinks in the sense of we're not trying to please fans. We're trying to please ourselves, and... You know,
0: that's a common thing for artists to say, and sometimes I wonder, you sound pretty convincing, but others I kind of wonder, that's a hard thing to actually carry out.
1: Um, <laughs> absolutely, this business isn't rewarding enough for me to give a shit about what anyone else thinks, so if anyone wants to come up, I, and I can sympathize, oh, you want to hear that song, It sucks. We did well. We did that for years, and uh, you know, you can always listen to that album. And there's YouTube videos, so you know, you have those at your disposal. For me, I'm more concerned with trying new things. I'm not afraid to make an album that everyone hates, as long as I think it's good. You know. It goes without saying, I think my, I'm always going to think my taste is probably better than the average person listening to us. Not to be a dick, but that's
0: probably actually a good thing for an artist to think.
1: You know, I mean, I think about it like this, like, there's a lot of bands out there that give the listener exactly what they want. I, I like to try to be a band that gives people what I think they need. What you need isn't always what you want. Maybe what you need to hear isn't what you want to hear. You know what I mean? So that's a challenging thing for some people. And I, th- th- even myself, you know, I have a lot of my favorite bands change album to album. And from time to time, I'll hear an album from a band that I love, and at first listen, I'm like, eh, whatever. And I kind of throw it off for a little bit, and then later I come back, and I'm like, fuck, they're genius. They're fucking geniuses. Why did I think this was shit at the time? This is actually fucking awesome. You know what I mean? They were right. I was wrong. They were giving me what I fucking needed, not what I wanted. You know what I mean? So that's just... That's definitely the goal. So, and not everyone's going to get it. That's fine.
0: Well, you mentioned earlier the Legacy EP, and you're coming up on the 10th anniversary of that initial release. Are you pleased that you guys have made it to this 10-year milestone? Are you surprised? Kind of what, what are your thoughts about that, about Abigail Williams reaching a decade?
1: Well, I'm a little surprised because... I don't even think I'd live this long. Back then, when I started this band, I didn't know what my goals were. And this is me being honest. All I knew was I was making some music, putting it out there, and it was at the point where I realized, oh, if this was what I'm going to be doing for a long time, then things need to change. I need to do exactly what I want to do. Without compromising. Because... the amount of time and energy that it takes to to do this... if if you're not doing exactly what you want, it's not worth it. You know what I mean? So that's when... uh, that's when this became a real ban in my eyes. And that was around 2009... So not too far off, really. The 2006 to 2009 was a good learning experience for me.
0: Music has evolved, but also your mindset about the band has evolved. Yeah, I became an entirely different person. I became...
1: When I started the band, I was literally thinking, like, this is a cool way to travel and see the world and go with the flow. And then when I realized, like if this is actually what I have to spend my time doing, it's going to have to be by my own rules. You know, not... At the time when we started, I was very much just trying to have a band. That was very fucking hard coming out of Phoenix, Arizona, which is where we lived. There, There wasn't a whole lot of musicians at the time worth even playing with, and then the ones that I could find that were excellent, by the way, well, I would have to at least, like, play something that they wanted to play. Otherwise, why would they even want to play with me? So, you know, after that, you become privy to musicians across the country. You know, I already put out, like, an album and had done a bunch of tours, and I've met so many people along the way, then I start tapping into people that I, that get what, what I want to do and actually want to do. And that's when Abigail Williams changed, the change started to happen. You know what I mean? So, you know, it might not make sense to the outsider without knowing all.
0: Uh, that makes sense. I mean, it, it took kind of broadening horizons to find some folks who really could buy into the project.
1: Absolutely, because I was writing a lot of the same sort of things that I would do now back then, and it, pe- people in my immediate group of musicians didn't get it. Which is fine, you know. So I'm a. I've played in a lot of different bands you know, outside of Abigail Williams, you know, I've played an aborted Lord Mantis, did this other band called Bro Joey, which is like southern metal stuff, I've done industrial music, I have a whole host of other things I'm doing right now, I'm singing for the faceless, you know what I mean, I have a diverse musical thing that I can do, and, Running enough interviews, I knew not to ask you about you know what are your influences kind of question. Yeah, because they're too it's too much. (laughs) But you know, I don't I can't expect that out of everyone. You know, so it's hard to keep people on the same page sometimes in this band because if you see like a lineup change, it's not like hard feelings. It's more like yeah, we had our thing and it was good, and I fucking love that person, care about them. And I even probably hooked them up to be in the next band that they got in. You know what I mean? Cool. It's never, like, really, like, a bad thing when I get uh, more members. It's more, like, on an artistic level, like, this is what's best for right now. You know? So, you know, the, the, the funny thing about with this band is... That's gone over the heads of, of a lot of people. They don't understand. People will see stylistic changes over albums as like trying to appeal to people, but it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, Our first album sold 25,000 copies, which coming from a label like Candlelight at the time is a lot for a band's first album. You know, we never sold close to that on any album after that. You know, if I wanted to fucking appease people and try to do what I thought was going to be popular, I would have done that. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's just... That's actually silly when I hear that. Because I'm the one looking at the fucking statements (laughs) that come in my email twice a year, and I see the sales, and I'm like, yeah, okay, you know? And, you know... They're not the ones getting disappointing emails from the label when you turn in an album and they're like, what the fuck is this? You're like, it's the new album. You know? I like it. So, fuck you. You know? That's basically how it's been every time we turn in an album.
0: So. And yet, you've been with Candlelight pretty much the whole way. Yeah, we're done now. Yeah. That was our last album
1: we had to turn in. So, looking at new uh, possibilities, or we might just self-release, which is a viable option these days. Absolutely,
0: a lot so, of bands are starting to do that. Yeah. yeah,
1: you know, we have distribution. We already print our own merchandise. Um, we already have gotten into CD duplication for other reasons. Uh, yeah, we're we're on top of it, we're, but we're not ruling out. I don't think labels are worthless yet, you know? Like, there's there's some good people working at some of these places that believe in some of the bands that they're working with and can still help out. I don't think it's... I like to think... I still like to think of that as, as a thing that is useful. Useful, but not the be-all, end-all, or the ultimate goal. Absolutely not. It just depends on the situation, and
0: who you're working with in the band so well wrapping up with you uh, after this current tour through the US with Belfagore is complete uh, what's the plans for the remainder of 2016 oh oh, man
1: after this I gotta go home working on uh, I have four albums to complete by the end of the year personally doing the vocals on the new Faceless record doing an, another Abigail record hopefully by the end of the year uh, doing guitars on a album for a band called Chrome waves which is like pretty cool project and then I have another band that I started called the accuser which I also have to I'm you know it's nearly done I have to finish that so like it's the last part of the year, but, yeah, pretty pretty filled up for the rest of the year. And then we also have a small tour in November that
0: we're doing with Wolfhammer. Cool. So pretty busy. <laughs> a lot of irons on the fire. Yeah. Well, you kind of warned me about this. So, yeah, our, our typical last question is about how fans can support the band. And obviously with some, some changes and maybe some new thoughts in your head about how fans can do that, tell us how fans can support the band by buying music and merchandise from Abigail Williams.
1: Honestly, I've never
0: received a single
1: royalty for a record sale. Uh, so that's a weird question. Um, when we sell CDs at shows, which we don't have tonight because we sold out of them, uh, yeah, we, we do get the money. Uh, with Candlelight, we were charged uh, 7 dollars per CD just to buy from them. And we're selling them for 10 So that means we only make 250 off a CD when we're the ones out here, you know, busting our ass to sell them. So we thought that was a pretty bad deal. So we just stopped buying them from them. So, you know, so, I always say buy shirts uh, and download the fucking music. And I'm, I'm, and I'm only saying that
0: because I, I don't think we, we've had a good deal. The the merch really supports you guys more than the music. Yeah, it really does. And I'm not—that's
1: not to say that selling records isn't important because I think it is. You know, selling records is what gets us on these tours. It's just unfortunately like that doesn't translate directly, you know, to profits for us. But people look at that; they're like, "Well, how many records have you sold?" And we're like, "Well." given that our label doesn't give two shits about our release, actually, not too bad. Check it out. Here's the numbers, you know? And then, you know, that's how we'll get on tours like this. But, uh, you know, in the future, I'm hoping I can say, hey, buy our album. It'll be good for everybody. I, You know, I'm looking forward to that day. It's just at t- ten years in,
0: you know, Nothing. (laughs) So I'm still going to encourage people to buy your album. Hopefully you'll see something from it, and definitely in the future if you guys are self-releasing. And it sounds like the best thing that fans can do is come out to a show, see you guys live. This is a fun band. They'll want to meet folks at the merch table afterwards, so buy that merch, talk to them, come out and see the show, support Live Metal. Ken, I so appreciate you taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me. appreciate it.